Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everybody. It is a bright and a little bit later here today on New Year's Eve, the 31st day, the final day of the 2019 season. I am Rich Yellman alongside the Will Porter. He'll, of course, uh, answer the calls, hang out with us here, uh, put everything on social media, and it'll be he and I today. Uh, we'll invite you to join us. As it's going to be kind of a guest-free, other than what you guys do, show today. Uh, I figured I'd end it on the right note, give him a chance to, to have a voice here on our final episode here of the 2019 season uh with the year that was uh, we learned a lot uh, some of the memories uh that you take away from college football of course uh, maybe throughout your entire sports year 2019 was this a year you'd like to remember or forget you know all those things uh will be on the docket today along with the college football games that happened yesterday we'll talk about the games from over the weekend uh still a little bit of leftovers uh here on the menu today as well as well as NFL. We, we didn't get much into NFL because of the factor uh, that it was such a very high-driven college football show. And we had a, a handful of guests join us, and uh, we'll, they'll get back in here with us uh, towards the end of the week. We'll do another one of these, uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, the rest of the week we'll, we'll be ready to rock and roll. As New Year's Day is going to have a, 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 I'd say, a slate full of games. As It'll be some good ones, by the way. Uh, New Year's Day is promised to bring you. Uh, that we can handle, but we'll get in a lot of here uh, that today is we'll we'll get in, start to talk a lot about what's going on, and uh, and of course uh, you know the winners and losers uh, so far uh, of the bowl seasons, the conferences, how do they look? Of course, last night uh, Florida finds a way to to finish off and win a game against Virginia. That's a dangerous bowl season team. May not be as consistent during the season. However, they did win uh, their side of the division of the ACC, which they again were the. Uh, next to the ACC uh, coastal side, they've yet to have a repeat uh, conference, uh, that division side winner. And I think that's a big uh, conversation to be had as well. Uh, but there's just so much on the docket that's left over from yesterday that we wanted to make sure we get back in here. But yesterday, of course, uh, you know, the game that I couldn't wait to watch was that, of course, Florida-Virginia game. Virginia comes in ranked number 24 in the country, taking on that number four, uh, nine. Team Florida. They were down in South Beach uh, in the Hard Rock Stadium there. Uh, the atmosphere was great. I mean, I, I'm sure if you're a Hurricane fan, you're thinking, man, where these people come from? And seen a packed out stadium like this all year long. This is great. But uh, they did exactly what they needed to do. Uh, also, there's going to be the conversations start happening now for a handful of teams as they're in the They Purdue, they come back. Be one of the conversations, and then it's going to, of course, uh, continue to be, uh, you know, the transport portal. Who's going to stay and who's going to go into that? So there's all different things that are going to start happening. This is what's going to make college football great for sports radio. May not be great for the sports world in general. Uh, again, may not be great. Again, I'm not a off the air. I'm not a fan at all of the portal. On the air, I, I enjoy it because it keeps us busy. It gives us something to talk about. It keeps it interesting. It's kind of like a soap opera, if you would. It just never dies. And uh, if you're not, uh, you know, on the air, I would imagine, and you're a high school football player, you have to get a little concerned there. 
Because, again, what they've done with high school football is they've brought in this early signing period. And all it is is checks and balances. The early signing period is in December. They get you to sign. They go after the best of the best, all right? That's who they put the most pressure on. They don't put pressure on the two stars and the three stars. They go after those long, hard four stars and those big-time five stars. They don't get you. What do they do next? Then they go over to this transfer portal. And that's usually at the end of December, early January. And then come February, they finish up the rest of their house cleaning of who they need, what they need, where they're going to put you at. Even up to yesterday, I had a couple of people uh, inquiring about certain athletes, asking questions. I was, it, was, it was quite interesting uh, conversation. the college front is uh, going to definitely be uh, Baylor's rule uh, declines uh, the Browns interview. Of course, uh, you know, everybody was wondering if he was going to head over and uh, be a next candidate into the NFL. Of course, he said, nope, that's not going to happen. Alabama's linebacker Moses takes the school over uh, the NFL draft, so he'll come back, like we mentioned, another conversation uh, that was had there. And uh, how's that going to work out? Uh, Of course, um, Still want to get into some of this other stuff with rules, certain things I think they need to change. Targeting, I think, is one of those. Uh, I think uh, there's just certain rules that maybe they need to look at. What, what do they need to change? Uh, sad news out of Georgia Tech campus yesterday with, uh, with the likes, of course, of a recruit that was hit by a train um, has now passed away. Uh, that news coming out of, of course, uh, uh, a freshman receiver, Bryce Grouty, has passed away. Uh, the school did confirm this on Monday, according to uh, the Browder Sheriff's Office. A freight train hit Crowder early Monday morning in his hometown of Deerfield Beach, Florida. The young man was 17 years old and was taken to uh, Browder Health North Hospital, where he died. Uh, ESO homicide detectives are also um, uh, investigating this. So uh, more to come out of this, but sad news. You know, out of the camp, out of uh, Georgia Tech. So, uh, just come some of the things here that we're kind of, kind of looking through uh, as we try to do, and we're going to start doing here in 2020, going to some of the top headlines. Uh, again, brought to you by our friends over at ESPN, uh, OSU, of course, Ohio State single season top rusher Dobbins is going to go pro. We kind of knew that was going to happen. Um, I thought again, it, he looked Dobbins looked good. Uh, I was impressed with what he did. I think he was dealing with a nagging ankle ankle injury all all night long. Went in and did what he needed to do, of course, for the uh, – did what he needed to do to kind of get through, I guess I would say, the, the, the night, the evening, but just not enough there. Uh, Texas uh, hires Ohio State's Yurik um, as the new OC. That's big news coming out of Texas. We'll talk about that a little bit here today. And Wilson and Terry announced return to rebuilding Florida State. And uh, it's a Florida State of mind, if you will. So uh, what we'll do now is we'll take a quick break. Uh, Again, you want to get in here with us this morning. We'd love to hear from you for the next two hours. We're going to talk a lot about a lot of things going high school, college, and pro football. So get in, call in, hang out, let us know your thoughts on the bowl season, on your outlook of the 2019-20 NFL course um, playoff situation that's going on. And if you've got another memory you'd like to share, because it is the final show of the 2019 season here for Southern Sports Central, call in 323-323. 784-9681. You can also find us on 
Facebook at Southern Sports Central and on Twitter at SO Sports Central. You're listening to Southern Sports Central Live right here on Blog Talk Radio. Hello, good morning, how you doing? Waking up, shaking yesterday's blues, yeah. Turn the TV off, the bad news, man. Feeling fresh like a zip-lock new man. OJ with a champagne tuna. Come up with Holy Ghost running through ya. Hell yeah, it's a new hallelujah. Walking like the top of a bottle and I ain't stopping yet. Scenario, 
I'm in your area, this is your burial, definitely. Send, send, send up your stereo, get this jumping like Mario, now you ain't with me. You, 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 it's terrible, I might embarrass you right here in front of your whole family. Six, 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 getting carry on, spitting malaria, hiding in fucking Nigeria. This is the, this is the, yeah, with a beer, leave a hair on the chair so they know we was here. Staring at fear like a deer when the car coming near in the middle of the road, bit of beer. You don't want to rock with the man, hands off of the grands, counting up bands while I talk to the fans. Knew I could jam, but the top wasn't playing, now everybody want to be friends? Damn. How you? Said I'm just fine, in the right place, at the wrong time. Said I go crazy, out of my mind. And I think bad when daddy wrote down that it might scrape and it might grind. But you work hard and it might shine. Let me slow down, switch the time and quit hiding. Back up. Central. I'm Rich Elman here in Quartz. Uh, excited to uh, get ready to rock and roll here uh, this morning. Uh, you know, as we uh, we try to get everything uh, ready. Perspective here as uh, Southern Sports Central coming at you live here on a beautiful. It is a chilly morning uh, getting into, and, and will the reason that we wanted to do a show a little bit later this morning is New Year's Eve. Uh, a lot of people off today, right? So that's a big deal. And this gave people a chance to kind of move around a little bit more. Seven to nine, we like it. We do enjoy getting up seven to nine early with you. But there are a lot of guys who are off today, school teachers that that like to talk some sports, some athletes that want to call in that normally can't call in because they can't get up a little bit earlier on their days off. I don't blame them. So we thought we would give them a gift, and that was a little bit later show here today. Of course, and uh, good morning, everybody. And uh, trying to get everything uh, figured out on our end to to produce a, a great show a uh, great two-hour show, just uh, really, really no guests lined up, but that's okay because you can be our guest. And uh, the, the number is out there to uh, to call into the show, a great uh, slate of topics lined up. Yesterday was more of, uh, like Richie said, a, a very top-heavy college football conversation, obviously, of course, because the college football playoff was uh, this past Saturday, and uh, a lot of topics coming out of, of those games, uh, th- those two games in particular. Uh, and, uh, and as we're going to look ahead into – uh, we're going to recap the games that were uh, last night uh, or, or throughout the day yesterday and forward into the, the college conversation with uh, the upcoming bowl games as well as the NFL top that are surrounding. If they were on the hot seat, the ones that got fired are, are uh, being demoted, replaced, however, however you want to look at it. And a host of those, uh, coaches that uh, were let go this season. Some of them have found a new home. Uh, some of them are, are in talks with, with other coaches. Other teams are in talks with other coaches and, and trying to figure out their plan for the 2020 uh, regular season as uh, most of these teams are no longer in the playoffs, those teams that are making these decisions. So and I think that we may get in, into that more in the 11 o'clock hour uh, in the in today's show, but uh, you know, nonetheless, Richie, this is uh, this is a really good day, I think, for us, uh, just to kind of uh, just to kind of relax and and take it easy for a minute because because of these topics, and, and there are a full there are a full host of them. We can go just about anywhere uh, with this show and with the conversations, and um, and just really looking forward to what we can talk about today. 
Yeah, well, there's going to be a lot of things kind of going through as we're looking at it here this morning. Uh, again, the, there is the college bowl season that's in full-fledged right now. There's a lot of things going on with it. Uh, that always going to be on the conversation. And, and, again, like you mentioned, just to kind of take it easy today, we, we constantly have guests in and guys that come in and things that happen. But we wanted to be a little bit more of a, uh, uh, I don't know, a freelance, uh, kind of an open mic uh, Tuesday rather than Monday. Uh, because of the fact that we did have a couple of guys stopping here yesterday, which I always appreciate the coaches and the and, and, and the beat writers and the voices and, and all the people that do stop in with the athletes to talk football with us. But, hey, why not today be your day? Why don't you call in, hang out with us, and we'd love to have you, you know, jump in here with us because there is a lot going on. There's the NFL going on right now. And what does that NFL, uh, NFC playoffs look like? What does the AFC playoffs look like? Again, that's going to be more of an hour two. But here today, right now, hour one, out of yesterday's games, uh, we'll dive right into that conversation. Well, the game that, I, again, I was most poised to watch would have been, of course, the Florida take on uh, the Virginia Cavaliers, ACC versus SEC. As you and I mentioned and you and I have talked about, for the Florida fans, uh, you had to be proud the way you finished. I get you didn't like losing to LSU. You're the only team, really, that should have beaten LSU throughout the season. Then you lose one in the uh, in the world's largest cocktail party to Georgia. That that bit, I mean, more ways than one. They're the dogs, but uh, that hurt a lot. But then you find a way to kind of win out the season. You go to a bowl game down in Miami, not a bad bowl game, by the way, and uh, you end up beating a Virginia team out of the ACC. For those in the rivalry, you know, conferences, uh, that's a good one there for the SEC. But uh, you finish on probably the best high note you can. You're down in Miami. There's recruiting down there. We talk about this on the show because we cover high schools, but seven out of the many high schools around the state of Florida won state championships out of that Miami-Dade County area down on South Beach. So you've got five stars. They won the game. They run some bragging rights. They want another uh, opportunity to practice a little bit longer, of course, than, than other teams did. Even, uh, you know, they got to practice a little bit longer, actually, than Ohio State did because mm-hmm. they played a little later. So, big picture-wise, there's that. Then there is recruiting. They get to win that battle again. Uh, and the, you don't know yet what's going to happen. Uh, Miami did lose their bowl game. So, right now, we're looking at who's won and who's lost bowl games. And, and I think I have to go back and look at the numbers. But right now, Florida's the first team to win a bowl game out of the state of Florida. Uh, and I may be wrong. I have to go back and look at it because I do remember, uh, uh, of course, where Lane Kiffin was at. They lost, you know, of course, uh, Florida Louisiana Tech, right? They so they lost. Miami lost. Uh, but Florida did win. So, again, without looking at the schedule sitting in front of me, it, all of those things, and they do matter. They yes, do they, matter for yes, the state they of Florida. Do. Yes, they do. And, and, and talking about the, the Gators from Gainesville there, uh, I think that we talked about this, and I'll definitely put it out there. I think that they're the best two-loss team in, in the country because they lost to a, a very uh, top-heavy SEC team uh, or SEC uh, division with, with LSU in the West and then
Yeah, I think when you look at it and, and you put things in perspective, uh, you, you kind of enjoy, you know, watching what Florida was able to do. And, and for me, you know, what this win does, of course, it puts the Gators now 11-2. and two. They'll likely finish inside the top ten in consecutive seasons for the first time since 2008-2009. Second year, Dan Mullen, by the way, cited, of course, uh, for, for the victories here at and I knew that. Once they got this guy, once he left Mississippi State, and, again, he took Mississippi State to places that they're not really familiar with. I've heard more cowbell when he was around than I did during the Saturday Night Live skit there. Uh, so, for me, it was uh, it, it was fun. It, it was entertaining. I like Dan Mullen as, as a person off the field. I enjoy watching him coach on the field. Uh, I'm a fan of Dan Mullen for sure. I liked the Gators back in the day when Steve Spurrier was there. I actually took a, uh, a, a trip down to Gainesville when I was in high school for recruiting purposes. And, uh, and had it been uh, – some things been a little different, not many things, but some things be a little different, uh, I, I got to be honest with you, I maybe have committed to go down there to play some sports instead of where I went. But uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a lot of fun down there. The atmosphere is entertaining. And just the atmosphere within the walls of the swamp alone is intimidating. You know, it's hard to beat them in the swamp. It's hard to, 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 to overcome. Uh, that big gator chomp, that, that that atmosphere they put together for the fans and the band that they do, everybody, it, it's incredible. So uh, a huge day for Florida fans. They get a chance to wake up this morning knowing that they're, they're going in the right direction for sure. And, uh, of course, uh, they win 36-28 in, in their big game, their final game of the 2019 season. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, there is a lot of excitement. There should be a lot of excitement there. Why not? These guys, I thought, looked great. Western Kentucky, best uh, taking on Western Michigan. Now, we had a couple kids here low country-wise. Dalen Powell, offensive lineman there, uh, who, um, to be honest with you, you know, uh, one of the only seniors, or excuse me, freshmen, true freshman starters that was able to play all year long, uh, represented the Green Wave in fashion. Uh, also, Stephen Duncan, who unfortunately was injured through the season, but he was also up there. Now, he went to Ashley Ridge, and I think they had another Ashley Ridge kid up there as well. Uh, but, of course, uh, yesterday it was a 23-20, another great game yesterday, uh, by the way, in the, uh, the, the Serve Pro First Responder Bowl. Again, uh, Western Kentucky wins 23-20. It was a freshman, Corey Munson, who kicked a career-long 52-yard field goal with no time left on the clock after a rule review to give Western Kentucky a 23-20 victory over Western Michigan in the first responders bowl again. What a season though! Nine and four. They knocked down Western um, Western Michigan down to, of course, seven and six. That's a big deal, you know. And again, it's in Dallas, so they're not really in in any or backyard. They're kind of a central location there. But uh, when you kind of put things in, in perspective, if you're Western Kentucky, uh, this is a huge opportunity. They've done great recruiting wise, not only in the state of South Carolina, but they've gone around the country and really picked apart certain athletes who aren't getting attention from other schools, or maybe they are, they're just going after them and saying, look, you can go and watch the game on the sideline and they might get you in in your third year, maybe your fourth year there on the team. But if you come here today, there's a good chance if you're good enough and you can shine that you'll play today. And you're seeing, of course, that happen for the Hilltoppers, who, again, finishes a 9-4 and season and um, a lot of exciting things there in that bowl game. Of course, uh, everybody playing for something supremacy, if you will, bragging rights for others, but nevertheless, uh, a, a big day there. The other action happening around yesterday, of course, uh, the other game 
uh, two other big games, as a matter of fact, was Mississippi State and Louisville. Uh, Louisville is a team that, that I said this yesterday, and I always will tell on myself when need be. I didn't think you were going to do it. I had no idea Louisville was going to be able to come in here and, and handle business. They just didn't look. They weren't very impressive. They were 7-5. and five. They were coming in here playing against a 6-6 six and six Mississippi State team that I thought State had maybe a little bit better athletes overall. But then as the day started getting a little bit closer, when this one finally kicked off over there in the um, Music City Bowl right there in Nashville, uh, Tennessee, uh, I started realizing, wait a minute, now this is the Louisville team that everybody talked about. This is the Louisville team that's a little bit better than what we've seen them kind of sputter a little bit here and there and and everywhere. So uh, you start to consider the Louisville Cardinals a turnaround uh, and and Coach Scott uh, Statterfield's debut as a smashing success, as it says there are many headlines across uh, the country there in many articles. Now, Mikhail Cunningham threw for 279 yards and two touchdowns, ran for 81 more. Now, Louisville beat Miami, excuse me, Mississippi State 38-28 on Monday in the uh, Music City Bowl. And this is a big deal. We talk recruiting in this aspect. And I said this earlier in the show, Will, where you look at the likes of what does this mean for Louisville? A, this is another – Staff for them to go against the SEC, and everybody knows that the ACC, the SEC, there's always that conversation in the recruiting homes, I would imagine, not to mention the extra hours in practice that they got, and they got a chance to, to, to be with this coach to kind of put some things together here. Uh, so I think for me, if you look at this, a huge win, you finish 8-5 sounds a heck of a lot better, a heck of a lot better than 7-6, and six, Will. Yeah, no doubt about that. And I mean, I think that I was kind of the same way uh, and even offering a challenge to Louisville and saying, look, if you were going to go out and be able to win this game, then, then what version of you is going to show up? Which version of you is going to uh, – which of, which version of you is going to appear in this bowl game? Uh, and I, I think that they did an awesome job of, of handling business the way that they should have and, uh, and, and being able to put points on the board the, the way that they did. I, it was impressive. It really was. Uh, you know, a few mistakes here and there that, that I – saw that you know they obviously could improve upon but you know nonetheless they they were able to they were able to fight off the adversity that they um, faced all throughout the season and and you're right an eight and five record an eight win season uh, definitely does look a lot better it looks it looks a heck of a lot better than uh than it did um than it would if it if it were otherwise um if you were to go seven and six uh, and and lose that bowl game uh, to to a Mississippi State team who I, I think they they've been on par uh, through most of the year but they're they're in a very tough uh, division in the SEC West and and being able to overcome those uh, those opponents like Auburn like LSU like Alabama uh, and and they're going to be back next year uh, possibly like reloading those, those caliber players and all of that and so uh, we'll see what happens uh, moving forward with both of these programs but looking at this game in particular great job to Louisville hats off to them an incredible job of course with uh, being able to, to fight and overcome the the skepticism uh, from from people like Richie and I uh, who who had our doubts and and those that. Um, and those that had uh, faith and, and trust in them that they would go on to be able to uh, perform and, and believing in that team, uh, just continue to believe because, uh, you know, Louisville, they, they are a few years removed from the from the Lamar Jackson days and they were, uh, whenever they were very spectacular at the quarterback position, but now they've really got to find their offensive identity, I do believe, in the direction that they want to go. And that's really and truly all up to them at this point in time. 
Yeah, we'll kind of wait and see how these guys do. Of course, uh, Louisville wins big. They have a lot of going on there for them uh, there in Nashville. Now, in the other game that happened yesterday was the Red Box Bowl. Of course, that one was all the way out in Santa Clara, California. Freshman a year ago was Chase Garbers, who was benched at halftime for an uh, effectiveness during his first trip to a bowl game. Of course, uh, the California quarterback made uh, his uh, second appearance in the uh, postseason much more memorable than he did the year before, of course, uh, uh, for him and the Golden Bears. Now, of course, uh, you look at this one, uh, Cal needed to win this one for many reasons. We talked about recruiting in the state of California, uh, just like we do the state of Florida, just like the state of Texas, and anywhere, really. Uh, you got to win your state first. That's one of my biggest things for a lot of teams around the country. Uh, and they were going against an Illinois team that, that could be dangerous. If you overlook them, they could definitely come in here and surprise you a little bit. And, and I guess if you kind of watch some of this stuff, and you look at even the box score here, it was an interesting conversation for me because I really thought, for, for whatever for all intents and purposes, that the Cal was going to probably run away with this one a little bit earlier than they did, even though it was a 35-20 to 20 victory for uh, Cal. Uh, I, I thought, really, I thought they were going to be able to kind of do some things here a little bit quicker than they were. And uh, for me, you, you know, you'll watch a team like Cal that comes in here. They need to win this game for many reasons. And without doing that, it causes, well, a little bit of chaos around. And it also helps other teams outside of uh, this camp of Cal to do things a little bit more. So when you kind of put things in perspective, these guys come in, they win a game, they, they throw for where they need to. Garbage, of course, you know, who had been in and out of the lineup all season long because of a shoulder injury, uh, got going right after being sacked on the first play from scrimmage and throwing an incomplete pass on the second one. Now, the offensive MVP of the game, Garber, completed 22 of the 31 passes. That's a heck of a number there. Uh, 272 yards with a touchdown passes of 4, 3, 2, and 6. He also scored a quarterback sneak from the uh, inside the uh, one early in the second quarter while helping uh, the Bears to a season scoring, season high of scoring there. So, for me, I, I think when you look at this one, Will, another big win for the pack here. This is something that these guys, again, can kind of look forward a little bit. And, and you know, again, I, I put a little bit of energy into this whole conference versus conference thing. I put more energy into what does it do for recruiting and what does it do for practicing. And, again, for, for Cal, they got more practicing. They got a chance to go out there and use this as a motivation, a tool, if you will, to get some recruits. Illinois, same thing. You got a little more practice. You got a chance to recruit. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think for, for Illinois to, to go to a location where they are not really favored, uh, it, it definitely speaks volumes there. But I, I, do, I do believe that, that Cal definitely uh, boosted their, their repertoire. They, they boosted their, um, their brand name, and with the Pac-12 in particular, uh, I'm talking about the Pac-12 more specifically and the conference bringing, uh, bringing a little bit more, uh, I guess, elusiveness um just just a just a more uh, a better a better sense of who they are and like uh, the the teams the, the teams that are looking the high school kids and the teams that they're looking at uh they can look at Cal uh in particular and and say and okay like what can we uh what can we do here what can we be able to produce but a 35-20 win uh i i think I, I think it just go, goes to show just how uh, hard that they fought and how um, difficult that they uh, that their opponent was in, in Illinois. And uh, you know, Illinois isn't isn't a, a terrible team either. I think they uh, they they proved to be a, a contender in most cases. They've proved to be a very um, a very efficient team. 
and and their losses. Uh, I think some of their losses are quality losses. They they show them in their record, and uh, and now it's just a matter of okay, can we be able to run it back next year? Uh, I think that they have a, a very a good recruiting class coming in uh, in, in this game. Um, but, you know, Chase Gabers, uh, th- those four touchdown passes, I think are, are the biggest tell for, uh, for that Cal team and the Bears, what they're able to do now. So moving forward, what can they, what can they be able to do again uh, to continue this, this run that, that they need to be able to establish themselves more, um, more prominent? Uh, you know, they finished they finish the year 8-5, and 6-7, uh, uh, and seven, uh, Illinois finishes. Not, not, the best, uh, not the best finish that I, I think that they wanted. Um, but, but still, great, great job for both, of these, uh, for both of these teams and both of these um, uh, programs to uh, get to a bowl game and, and being able to showcase their talents and their skills that they have, um, and coaching-wise in particular as well. Yeah, I think you got to look at it, put things in perspective here. Again, uh, you know, three or four good bowl games yesterday overall. Uh, you, you got – really wasn't – the blowout wasn't the conversation. I think that was one of the things that when you looked at everything, you wondered how much of the blowout conversation was going to be happening here. Uh, and you got some good games. Uh, they weren't great games. They were pretty good games. A couple of them were really good, actually. But uh, nevertheless, uh, you know, now today, a new day. Tuesday, December 31st, you'll see, of course, uh, a handful of other teams going to get after here today. Uh, to be exact, uh, of course, they'll start at 12 o'clock here today, Virginia Tech and Kentucky. Uh, two teams looking for identity, if you ask me. I think Virginia Tech's on one end of this deal coming to the ACC. They're going to play, of course, in the Bell Fall over here in Charlotte uh, to where they need to win this game to get some momentum going into the offseason. But then you got Kentucky on the other side who had a little bit of resurgence there towards the end of the year that got Bell eligible, won seven games in the season. And I didn't think they were going to get seven under their belt, but they did. And, of course, uh, they were able to handle the things that they needed to there. Uh, as that coach at Kentucky, not a bad coach. Uh, you know, this is a team that ultimately, you know, I watched this one uh, might be a little bit closer today when this one kicks off here uh, in about uh, less than an hour and a half. You know, you, you think of this one here as one of the college football's most recognized assistant coaches is working the, the sideline on the other side, though, for the final time today, and that's Bud Foster. You know, I talked about uh, Coach Bud Foster on this show and, and, and got a lot of respect for this guy because he's had multiple opportunities to go be a head coach. But realize, maybe, just maybe, this is really where I need to be. I'm growing the best here. This is where I'm planted. This is what I'm doing. I'm just going to sit here and ride the storm out. And he's one of the best in the business. And for me, that means a lot. Uh, that means a lot to me to watch what he's able to do, kind of put things together. Uh, and, and, of course, uh, you know, he's a defensive genius when it comes to coordinators, uh, you know, riding off into the retirement sunset here after the Hokies uh, play today at noon in Charlotte. Uh, Foster, of course, uh, followed head coach uh, Frank Beamer from Murray State before uh, the 1987 season and has been in Blacksburg ever since. So that's a long tenure for a coach at any level, at any status, at any position. And, of course, uh, you know, that includes uh, the last 24 years of running the defense under uh, Coach Beamer and Justin Fuentes, who replaced Coach Beamer after the 2015 season. Foster defense has posted 36 shutouts and have collected the most sacks. That's 893 and the second most interceptions at 393 in the FBS since 1996. That's a huge number there. Of course, the Hokies, uh, 27 consecutive bowl 
verse is the longest active streak in the country. We don't hear about that very much anymore. You always hear about the uh, four teams that are always in and who's out and all that, but that's a big number, 27. Bud Foster doesn't want uh, to make his last game one of his uh, career by himself, though. This is coming from the coach uh, himself. Quote, it's obviously about sending people off the right way, and it's about the future. He goes on to say, let's grow and build on what we've done this year. To take another step, we don't need to wait until next semester. We need to do it right now, end quote. Of course, that is from the uh, defensive coordinator for the last 27 years, uh, Bud Foster with the Hokies over there. It wasn't uh, a sure thing in early October that the uh, Tech would even be uh, able to do what they needed to do and send Bud Foster into the 27th straight bowl game because they didn't look good coming out at the uh, the beginning of the year. But they found a way to win a few games along the way. Of course, uh, you know, they were 2-2. and after a 45-10 to 10 blowout loss to Duke. They then won six out of the last seven before season-ending uh, loss to Virginia, cost the uh, ACC Atlantic Coastal Conference Division title. They had a chance, but just couldn't finish it there against an in-state rival. Uh, the big challenge today in Foster's final game, stopping quarterback Lynn Bowden, a uh, converted wide receiver who has turned the Wildcats 7-5 into the nation's best running team since taking over late in the season's fifth game, following injuries to starter Terry Wilson and the backup Sawyer Smith. Now, Bowden has completed just 29 of 62 passes for 330 yards, but has rushed for about 1,235 yards and 11 touchdowns, is averaging more than eight yards per carry. And uh, you look at that one, it's going to be an offensive game against a defensive genius here, Will. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, uh, you know, looking looking at Virginia Tech and what uh, Bud Foster has been able to do in his his entire tenure uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And what I mean, what a way uh, for this storyline to line up this way. You have a you have a Kentucky team who is that uh, they're having a resurgence of their own with uh, being able to find their momentum and where they're wanting to go. And, and they do have that quarterback in Lynn Bowden. Uh, again, he he's, was a wide receiver. They turned him into a quarterback and, and making him run, being very mobile uh, in the pocket. And, uh, and you know, he, he's rushed for, I think, five, five or six games already. Uh, so he took over in the fifth game, and then uh, the, game, the game's on from there. He has accumulated 1,200 rushing yards and, and 11, 11 touchdowns uh, on, on his legs, and that's eight yards a carry. That, that's about a first down every time that you – uh, that you touch the ball, and, and uh, there were 284 yards and four scores, and in, in, and again with the uh, the season-ending route of uh, Louisville, and we saw Louisville uh, take down Mississippi State, and so you can uh, do the speculation there. But you know the, the Wildcats, they they, um, they boast the nation's 12th-ranked scoring defense, which is uh, they they permitted just 18 and a half points per game on on average. Um, and Calvin Taylor is um, registering a team high 7.5 sacks, and he's one of the uh, one of the ringleaders. You know, this is going to be a very close game. Uh, you know, the, the odd ma- the odd makers have it at uh, Virginia Tech in favor of a safety. So uh, you, you take a look at this game. It, it, again, it's another one of those coin tosses. Um, maybe we'll see. Maybe we can see a blowout just if if one team does not uh, desire to do um, does not desire to do. Uh, what they need to do, what they need to do with the other. So, um, you know, the the FPI from ESPN has the Kentucky Wildcats in in favor, fifty seven point six percent favor to to win this game, and the over under is forty seven. So, 
there's a chance for for some scoring, but but definitely not uh, lighting up the board like you would think uh, with with a team in Virginia Tech that has posted um, an an average of uh, 30 points a game and a Kentucky team that has uh, averaged 26.3 per game. And, and you know, just just really quick, this isn't this isn't Charlotte, so it kind of a drive down south for for both of these teams here. Uh, Kentucky has won four of their last five. Virginia Tech has won three of their last five. So a uh, very interesting matchup to see um, this, this game. And it's going to be kind of chilly up there uh, at Bank of America Stadium uh, for this game to, to kick off at 12 o'clock again on ESPN uh, today. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this matchup as well as the other matchups that are, uh, that are slated for today as well, Richard. Yeah, you got two teams here. They'll match uh, pretty evenly in certain areas, uh, but it will be a good game. I do want to go back to the conversation a little bit earlier. I always retract if I make a mistake. I want to make sure I clean it up before we get off the air. Uh, we talked about the winners and losers in the state of Florida. Uh, I stand corrected. The Florida state of mind a little bit better than what I thought originally was because I did not count UCF, nor do I count Florida Atlantic. They also got bowl wins. Uh, Miami and Florida Atlantic – international, excuse me, uh, Miami, Florida International – uh, those were the two teams that did lose. Now, uh, the next team that we go to, and that's a nice segue to me to go to Florida State, is FSU is going to look to see what they can do here in the uh, Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Bring that one to your full circle here. So they'll play against an Arizona State University. Now, Florida State 6-6. Six and six. Arizona State 7-5. and five. Uh, The new Florida State coach, uh, Mike Norville, will not be calling plays uh, when the Seminoles play Arizona State in the Sun Bowl. But his fingerprints are both sides of the ball game that will be missing some of its biggest offense and threats on today's game. Of course, uh, when you look at this one, uh, the Seminoles hired Norville back in December the 8th after a successful season in Memphis. His first head coaching gig, Norville was Arizona State quarterback coach, offensive coordinator, and assistant head coach under Tarn Grimm. As you look at uh, the assistant head coach under, of course, him, and uh, doing what he was able to do for the previous four seasons, all of which ended with a bowl bid. So, again, uh, who knew the headlines when you start putting these things together? Now, Seminole players already have picked up on Norville's positive vibe and uh, continue to kind of go in that direction here. Haggins uh, will lead the Seminole 6-6 six and six into the Sun Bowl. El Paso, uh, Texas, as they'll be playing this one here around uh, 2 o'clock on CBS today. And, uh, of course, marking the return of the postseason after their uh, run of 36 consecutive bowl games uh, was snapped back in 2018. The Sun Devils, seven and five, by the way, will play in the second, uh, their second bowl game as many years under, of course, uh, Coach uh, Herm Edwards, who's one of my favorite coaches as well. I love uh, hearing him not only uh, on the headset, but I enjoy listening to him when he gets in the box and, and able to break down some games as well. But this one, uh, this one has a lot uh, of again opportunities because Florida State does a really good job recruiting nationally as well as other teams do. So for them to play in Texas, they're meeting, I don't know if it's halfway, Tallahassee all the way to, of course, uh, the likes of um, uh, Tallahassee all the way likes to Dallas, comparatively to Arizona to Dallas. Maybe it's midway, halfway to some degree. But uh, they also get to debut in, in the big, great state of Texas for recruiting purposes as well. Yeah, I think this is a big game for, for both programs and, and, and looking forward to uh, what Florida State is, uh, is going to be able to do. Uh, I'll be honest, Richie, I, I believe that ASU uh, has the upper hand. You know, uh, um, the, the odds makers have um, Arizona State in favor by four points and, and the over-under is 54, but I think a lot of those uh, points are going to go ASU's way. 
just because of uh, I'm just thinking of the history that uh, that Florida State has had with with their struggles uh, in in recent memory, and and they're going to have the the interim coach still going to be the head coach of um, of this team for for the final time uh, this season. Now, I, again, I would like I would love to see Florida State be able to um, to be able to conquer their demons that they've had. Uh, over the course of this season and, and being able to uh, pull out a win, uh, pull a win out of the hat. But uh, taking a look really quick, you know, the last five that they, that they have played, um, they, they lost to a, a Miami team at home 27 to 10 um, back in the first weekend in November. Uh, and then the, the rivalry from, uh, from Gainesville over to Tallahassee uh, that they played at Florida and uh, they were ranked 11th at that time. Florida, the Gators were, and they lost 40 to 17. Now, granted, that's a, that's a Florida team that is uh, very great, and Dan Mullen doing excellent work over there, um, over there in Gainesville. But you know, nonetheless, uh, in order in order for me to be impressed, and and I think that it won't take it won't take a lot to be impressed by this. But if Florida State can be able to get out early, and, and being able to keep uh, Arizona State's defense. Uh, on the field who, you know, quite frankly, they have, they have allowed uh, on average 23.1 um, points per game. And that spread there, um, that, that spread there is not that much to how many points that uh, Arizona state has scored. Arizona state, they've won uh, three or no, two of their last five, uh, if, if I can speak correctly here. Uh, and, and they beat a, a number six Oregon team to prevent them from being in the college football playoff conversation. And, and they, they handled them pretty well at home 31 to 28 back on uh, November 23rd. And, you know, taking a look at this game, uh, th- this matchup of uh, Florida state and Arizona state, uh, the Sun Devils, they have an opportunity to, um, they have an opportunity to redeem themselves from, uh, the many losses that they had against the against the mediocre Pac-12, like the, the middle of the pack. Um, I remember the days when Arizona State was uh, very um, was very problematic for a lot of teams, and, and being able to being able to score where they needed to, and being able to uh, look, being able to recruit well. And now that they're going into uh, the, the great state of Texas and, and the backyard there uh, in El Paso, that that's going to be a that's going to be a one game to look at uh, as far as recruiting, like you said, uh, to which, which team, which team wins and which team would have the, the most uh, like prized, uh, most, most prized spots of where does a recruit want to go? I think whoever wins this game may, may get an upper hand in that uh, come next year's uh, recruiting time. And even, even maybe for those that are still uh, the seniors that are, uh, still on the fence for where they want to go, and if if they have an offer from either of these from either of these schools, then then that's something to look at. Yeah, we'll kind of look and see how this thing kind of works itself out. But uh, again, another great game going to happen here today. We'll, of course, uh, we'll we'll be able to watch all of these today because again, they're they're going to be uh, highlighting them all throughout the entire day today. That's going to be uh, the games that are on the docket. Again, we'll give you the rundown real quick. Virginia Tech, Kentucky, over in Charlotte, the Best Bowl. That's going to kick off at twelve o'clock. Then at two o'clock. Florida State, Arizona State. We just talked about that one. That was in the great state of Texas over there at the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Uh, Navy, uh, Navy and Kansas. We haven't talked about these guys yet. We're going to get into those guys now. Uh, they're going to actually take over on the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. Uh, Liberty Bowl, of course, that's uh, over in, uh, in uh, the state of Tennessee as well. Uh, that was going to be a good game. And, and for me, 
Navy is a team that I watch their quarterback, who reminds me a lot of a guy that you know over at Saluda. Uh, it looks very much uh, like Mr. Bell, uh, who I thought uh, looked very good. But for this game, now, of course, uh, this is a 345 kickoff over there at the Liberty Bowl. And this is a big-time bowl game for a lot of opportunities and a lot of different reasons. 10-2 and two Navy coming in against a, uh, an 8-4 and four Kansas State. Uh, for me, programs that have used uh, to playing certain things, but I think the biggest problem that you're going to see Kansas State deal with is a triple option. I think that triple option is going to play a big factor today. Uh, I think you'll see this quarterback uh, who has done really good things on, on many things. But uh, looking back, uh, before we get into them, of course, uh, you know, when you, when you put things together, the game, of course, will contrast in south all throughout, not as much as it would if you're Navy, 10-2, and two, who are facing just about any other school from the uh, past happy Big 12 Conference. Now, the Wildcats, under first-year head coach Chris Kaleem, I believe is how you pronounce his last name there, who led uh, North Dakota State to four SBS uh, championship games in the past five seasons, averaged 189 yards per game on the ground and 185 yards up through the air. Kansas State 8-4 and four, is led by an offensive junior quarterback, Skyler Thompson, an honorable mention, all Big 12 kid there. He was, of course, set uh, career highs in passing yards with uh, 2,191 yards. He had 12 touchdowns, completions, 167 uh, this season. That has been one of the uh, most effective uh, running uh, quarterbacks in the Big 12. You don't hear that much in the Big 12. It's more of a pass-happy style conference. Now, the Wildcats spread the ball all around with three running backs rushing for uh, at least 250 yards and three players with at least 250 yards receiving. The balance has Navy, the coach uh, over there, head coach, concerned a little bit. He's not used to this as much because of where they come from. It's not quite the same thing here. But, again, for me, Navy is going to have an upper hand because of that triple option there, Will. Yeah, they're going to have their hands full. And this, is, this again, is a Kansas State team who, who took down uh, Oklahoma uh, and, and handing them their only loss uh, in, in the regular season for, for the Sooners. But, you know, Kansas State, uh, uh, these, these Wildcats, they, they have been formidable in, in, most, uh, in most cases. And uh, with, this, uh, with this offense, the style of offense that Navy has with running this triple option, that, that like you said, and, and a lot of people are saying this as well, that's going to be a, a tell of uh, – who's going to be more successful uh, on that side. That, that to me, I think, is going to be the biggest battle is Navy's offense with the triple option going up against Kansas State's defense and how they're going to be able to stop that, uh, that Navy offense. Now, Navy, um, a little fun fact here, they've won four of their last five bowl games, and Kansas State is looking for their third straight bowl win, which would be the longest streak in, in their school's history. And they're making their second appearance, both of these teams, in the Liberty Bowl, uh, and both of them are carrying uh, 0-1 records in, into that game. And they've never faced off against each other. This is the first time that, that, that these two teams will face off against each other in, in the history of college football. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, Kansas State is favored slightly um, uh, with the, the matchup predictor that ESPN provides the FPI, but oddsmakers have Navy uh, by a field goal. And, uh, and, and like you said, this is – Navy. This is a Navy team, very disciplined, very hard-nosed football, uh, uh, smash-mouth football. The the, the tradition uh, and the excellence that uh, we we quite we quite frankly are used to seeing on a Friday night level, and that carries on into that carries on into Saturdays, uh, where they're able to they're they're able to you know make plays, but being disciplined while they do it. 
and, and again, the, the, the point spread is at 53 and a half. Uh, I, I believe that a lot of those points will probably go to uh, will probably go to Navy. Uh, you know, and they've they've been able to rack up over 450 yards a game on on, on average, and not many of that on the ground, or, or not many of that through the air. A lot of it's been on the ground at 363 um, yards per game. And Kansas State has been more balanced, but they they've really allowed a lot of uh, they've been able to allow a lot of um, yards over through the air, not so much on the ground. So again, this is going to be a, a matchup of can Kansas State's defense, can this Wildcat defense be able to go up against the triple option? Uh, I think that this is one that I I will look forward to uh, the most come today. Three forty-five on ESPN uh, following the first game, uh, the Belk Bowl. All right, then we go over to the uh, third game of the day. It's going to be over there on uh, CBS, 430. They're kicking off over there, of course, uh, in the Nova Home Loans Arizona Bowl. That's right over there in the West Coast, Georgia State. Wyoming will meet for the first time uh, when the uh, two teams clash in the fifth Arizona Bowl in uh, Tucson uh, here today after posting a 2-10 and record in 2018. The Panthers of the Sunbelt Conference are 7-5 and this season. Georgia State we're talking about here. A season opening 38-30 win against uh, Tennessee back in August the 31st. We remember, man, it made major headlines there. As it was the Sun Belt. Actually, we call it the Fun Belt, doing some big things over there uh, was a highlight. And, of course, the Panthers also got a non-conference win over Army 28-21. Now, Georgia State making the third bowl appearance in the school's seven-year history as an FBS program uh, finished the season uh, with a 4-4 mark in conference play. The Panthers are 1-1 and in two previous appearances in the Cure Bowl. So, again, uh, led by quarterback Dan Ellington, who has 2,229 yards passing and 598 yards rushing. This dual-threat quarterback has thrown 21 touchdowns to seven interceptions, playing in the past three games on a torn ACL suffered back in November the 9th against uh, Louisiana Monroe. Now, senior uh, Trey Burnett is uh, 1,389 yards rushing uh, yards are second in the conference, and, of course, his average is about 115 yards per game, tops the Sun Belt. Uh, Barnett also six, point, uh, six yards per carry here in his 12 rushing touchdowns, or third most in the league. Now, when you look at this one, a very, uh, I would say, an optimistic team here coming uh, with Georgia State. Uh, Georgia State is a very good team, led by Coach Sean Elliott, who believes in this team, who uses this team to kind of push through a lot of different adversity. They played, I watched them against Coastal. I made the trip up to Myrtle Beach uh, and, and watched that game there. It was uh, a very uh, fun, fast, filled of excitement kind of game. But today you're going to see the likes of Wyoming, who's 7-5 and five out of the Mountain West, is probably uh, a team that you got to kind of not overlook. This is their third bowl uh, game uh, under six-year coach, um, uh, Coach Boyle who is uh, the Cowboys look even uh, though their uh, bowl record is eight and eight with a win. They well, we'll see what they can do here. This is a team again, that, that can do a lot of different things, but Wyoming and Georgia state combined over a um, 454 yards per game. So this could be a very high score in football game when it's said and done. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm looking forward to uh, Georgia state being able to go out there and be able to fight for uh, their first eight-win season in, in the program history, uh, dating back to 2010. And 
with, with Wyoming, they're, they're three and one in non-conference play. That, that includes the, the season opening win uh, over Missouri in, in the SEC. Now the, the Wyoming Cowboys, their defense holds opponents to 17, uh, close to 18 points a game. That's 11th in the nation uh, and, and the sixth best mark in the country as far as uh, rushing yards uh, per game. I, I think that that's the rushing yards allowed now. Um, uh, they have a sophomore, uh, Xavier Valade, uh, for the Cowboys. They lead; uh, he leads the rushing uh, category with 1,061 yards. And now Wyoming and Georgia State, they combine to average 454.7 rushing yards per game. So uh, again, I think this is a game that is going to be uh, one on the ground, and whose defense can be able to stop the run game. I, I think that both teams are expecting it. I think that uh, both teams are going to be uh, expected to perform at, the, at this high, at this very high level. Uh, and you know, Wyoming uh, is favored. I, I think uh, with good reason, favored uh, by by a touchdown and being favored for for winning the game uh, by ESPN's FPI at seventy two point three uh, percent. Again, the spread is at forty eight and a half. And, and we'll see what happens with uh, with this game. Again, both teams are, are, are excellent on, on the ground um, and not, not so much really on the air. I mean, uh, Georgia State is uh, – they produce the more total yards uh, in the category as opposed to uh, Wyoming. But it's going to be interesting to see the run game. And, again, how, how can these defenses be able to stop uh, the game on the ground, uh, possibly forcing – them having to go on the air more often than not. Uh, this is going to be a very interesting matchup. Now, the last one, uh, and I'll hand it off to you, is the uh, is the Alamo Bowl, and that's the 11th ranked Utah going up against the Longhorns of Texas. Um, and uh, I'll let you give, give the rundown of that one. Yeah, to me, this game out of all the games, uh, you know, this is a very intriguing game. And there's a lot on the line here for Coach uh, Tom Herman here, who a lot of people thought this was his comeback year. They thought a lot of people. Coach Call was one of those guys who uh, is the head football coach at Somerville High School that jumps in here with us. And when he talks a little college football, these coaches like to talk to football too, not always high school. They like some college stuff too. But this was a team that he had said preseason wise, watch out for it, guys. This is a very uh, poised coach who's got a lot of good things going on. Now, you know, they've done some changes. I believe they let go some guys over there. Uh, I think that was the one place they fired their, their offensive and defensive coordinator over there, if I'm not mistaken, earlier. I mean, uh, right after the season of some degree. But uh, without that having in front of me, I can tell you this. This is a Longhorn team that's going to be uh, challenged today. They're 7-5 and five overall. They're 5-4 and four coming out of the Big 12. Likely uh, not the third best team uh, in the conference, uh, that being, of course, uh, Oklahoma State or Iowa State. Uh, but both teams uh, have played in San Antonio in recent years. Now, the Longhorns have not played in the Alamo Bowl here in uh, the great state of Texas since 2013, the final game of Mac Brown's tenure. If you remember when he was there, uh, coached at Texas, and also played in the postseason game previous years, beating Oregon State. So, for me, yeah, I, I think when you look at this game here, because it's 7-5, and five, taking on a ranked, ranked team out of Utah, 11-2, and two, this is not going to be an easy game for, of course, uh, Herman and the boys, as they're not only in their backyard, but it's one thing to lose a bowl game. But to lose the bowl game literally in your backyard, it's going to make it really hard. So they're going to have to really step up here and do some things that need to be done to get to that other side. Again, get through the tough stuff to get to the other side. And tonight, it's going to be all, and again, it needs to be promoted and pushed. Look, finish strong. Finish strong. Eight and five sounds a lot better than seven and six. 
Recruiting-wise, it's a lot better. There's going to be so many eyes and ears because you're the only game on tonight. So they'll be watching whether they're there in the stadium or they're there watching it from a TV screen. This is going to be an interview process for Texas to see what they can do because they can finish off 8-5 and five, and they can beat a number 11 team in the country out of Utah who's been hot all year long. And we talked about Utah. There was even conversations them being one of the final four teams in the final four of the playoff conversation. So, again, a huge game, a huge opportunity for Texas. We'll see what they can do tonight. Yeah, and I think the thing for Texas in, in particular is that they, they have a gunslinger in Sam Ellinger who has posted up close to 3,500 yards uh, this season. He's only thrown nine picks, but uh, that compared to 29 touchdowns, and he's completing. Uh, I, I think he's completing well over uh, 60% of his passes there. Um, for the Longhorns now, it is going to come down to uh, where where are there the le- the lesser mistakes, and for the Longhorns as well, because you you mentioned it uh, in in the synopsis there uh, that they were projected to be one of the top teams in the country, if not at, at least in the Big Twelve, uh, and then they fall down to seven and five with with losses against Baylor, uh, against Iowa State, against TCU. Um, that's uh, they won only two of their last five games, Texas Longhorns. Um, Utah, of course, they lost uh, the heartbreaking loss in the uh, in the Pac-12 championship to a number 13th ranked uh, Oregon team, and that, that like this is going to be telling for both programs uh, to finish out strong. And, and I think more important for Texas as well, uh, who's who's been able to hold off uh, some teams um, being like being able to allow a lot of rushing yards, and and their their struggles are of course, over the air, giving up a, a, an average of 306 yards over the air. Uh, and Utah has been able to uh, just just be able to go um, not so much of an air raid but continue to throw the ball uh, more than they run it. But it's, it's very even across the board. Again, this is a Texas game that, that is a, possibly a must win in order to protect their reputation uh, that they have. And this is going to be uh, a talking point for them moving forward into – uh, into next year uh, and into next season, what what they can do recruiting wise, what they can do uh, with the coaching staff, and, and to develop players and and then bring them back into the conversation of uh, of dominance and in the Big Twelve, but also in in the college football uh, picture as a whole. This will be very telling. It also, not to mention that their fans are traveling. They're going to be traveling well because this is the the Alamo Bowl, and I think the Longhorns don't have to travel very far uh, to where they're going. Uh, over there in San Antonio. So again, uh, very very prominent uh, game in the Alamo Dome, and this is the this is the only game in prime time. So a lot of eyes are going to be watching this team, uh, both uh, both for the Big Twelve in Texas, but also across the country as well. We talk recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. Texas A&M, by the way, did win their bowl game, twenty four twenty one. This was uh, uh, just a few days ago against an Oklahoma State team. That does matter. Believe me and trust me, they want that momentum going in. we got to go to break, top of the hour. We'll come back. We'll take some calls. We'll hang out with you here on Southern Sports Central. You're listening to us live right here on Blog Talk Radio. Hour one, done. Hour two, coming to next. My family and I were suffering with no protection from the hot Carolina sun. I called the Tent Farm, and they told me about their line of ceramic window film. Now I have 99.9% protection from harmful UV rays for the ones that matter the most. You don't have to be a math teacher like me for those numbers to make sense. Don't be alarmed. Call the farm. I was driving in extreme Charleston heat. I couldn't take it any longer. I wasn't alarmed. I called the farm. I used to be the victim of bad tent. 
It was so horrible, I was embarrassed to be seen driving even in my own hometown. I called the tent farm, and they took care of me. I wasn't alarmed. I called the farm. I'm Jonathan Farmer, owner and founder of Tent Farm. Are you a victim of bad tent? Are you suffering from extreme heat? We here at the Tent Farm want to help you with these horrible conditions. Don't be alarmed. Call the farm. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Rich. I'm alongside Will Porter here for the final hour and the final show of the 2019 season here. Uh, man, it's been a great year. Uh, we've done a lot. We've traveled. Uh, we've, uh, we've of course, covered. We've talked to uh, many first-time callers, first-time guests. Uh, we've, we've added some guys and girls into the portfolio of uh, contributors to Southern Sports Central. And, uh, you know, I, I go back and think about, and, and I wish we had it set up, but I don't, but that's not a big deal. Uh, I go back and think about of uh, some of the things that um, the interview that I had with, with, with the coach's wife over at Rent High School uh, right after the game, uh, they had just won a state championship game. And it was huge to me. You know, uh, you know Mama Tate is what they call her. And uh, her passion, her ability to really captivate an, an interview just by being real, catching her at that moment, saying that we had been – we had been fans here. We had been going here. We graduated from here. Now we're, we're coaching here. We're, 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 this is our family. This is for us. This is for the community at Bren High School. That was huge. That was huge. And, and to see the coaches' wives, and, and for and foremost here at the end of the year, I want to thank all the coaches' wives who give the hours away of their, their husbands and their fathers and, 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 and all the things that they give there so that they – can let them go do what they do. That means somebody back home has got to do a little bit more. And that means that's you, uh, the coach's wife. So on behalf of us here at Southern Sports Central, myself, thank you. Thank you for giving away, you know, your significant other. So they go out and, and raise other children while you stay home and raise y'all's children. And that's just the reality of it. But that interview that I had uh, with Mama Tate there over from Wren High School, uh, really – it really touched my heart because you could see the passion. You could see that it wasn't just his team. It was their team. That it was a team that she had watched these young boys grow up to be men, to watch them come through the Little League programs and, and, and go through the high school ranks and then come to their senior season to the University of South Carolina campus over at Williams-Brice Stadium and to win this thing all out. And then you see Mr. Owens, their starting quarterback there, break a record, not only winning a state championship, those are the moments, those are the things, those are the reasons that I created Southern Sports Central. Sure, I love talking sports. Sure, I love being on the radio. I love being everything that I get a chance to do on Friday night for four hours on ESPN or about 20 to 15 minutes, whatever it is, over at NBC Sports at Channel 2 or doing this two hours a day, Monday through Friday and sometimes on Saturdays. But it's the response and the opportunity that I get out to do good works, that I get the chance to go out and bring in guys who have never been on the radio before, but they get a chance to be heard. They get a chance to tell their story. They get a chance to be appreciated. And I'm telling you, the, the relationships, the bonds that you build and doing things that you do it when you do it for the right reasons are pretty amazing. Yesterday alone, I had nine different high school athletes just in the state of South Carolina reach out to me and send me a text and just check it. Hey, man, 
everything good. Hope you're having a good Christmas. Happy New Year. Those are the things that matter most to me. Those are great things. Those are great moments, great opportunities, if you will. Because here's the thing. These guys are – you see them on TV. They always have their helmets on. You always read about them in the paper, but you don't see what they – you don't really see them saying it because it's a paper or it's on the internet. But for them to come in here and really give their story, just for example, Noah Bell, he was one. A young man that came on this show who's very elusive, uh, doesn't get all the uh, – I, I don't think he gets the respect that he's earned. He wins the state championship in 2A football. That's a big deal. How about Calisardo, who's a guy that, that's uh, from up there in, in um, Chapman, Chapman. I always get that name wrong, but uh, he, he's a guy from, uh, you know, the 3A level. And uh, the things that he was able to do, beating Dylan. Now he's going to actually go to Georgia State. You know, we've had all these championship quarterbacks come on. And then, oh, how about over Judge Fork, Kyle Chuck, who comes in a quarterback who's got not one, not two, not even three, but four state championships. How big is that? To get these young men to come in, and I just talk quarterbacks because there's always Jalen Hyatt, the wide receiver, who's his go-to guy. You know, there's different athletes I've had come in here that are first-time callers, first-time uh, interviews, so to be. Hugh Freeze joins the show this year in 2019. First-time ever Liberty coach who also won their bowl game. Joined us here. I'm not sure if he came from the uh, from the hospital bed or the rocking chair or wherever, but he came from us. Uh, from the uh, campus over there at Liberty in Virginia. Many guys and girls do what they do, give up a few minutes away from their busy day to make the day that I do on Southern Sports Central a little bit better. And if you've given us any time or any energy or you've done anything at all, I want to say thank you very much for your time. Thanks for your energy. Thanks for everything you've done to help grow Southern Sports Central. 2020 is going to be a big year for us. We're going for broke, as they say. We're going to try to get on every radio opportunity we can, be it inside a, a radio station in Fox. We'll go after, of course, ESPN. We're going to go after CBS. Any other avenue that we have, we're going to do what we have to do to continue to push through to achieve the things that we want to do. Because we tell athletes that all the time. Go after what you want and give it 100%. So we're going to live by example here. Now, coming up here in hour number two, we're going to keep doing what we do, but we're going to take a quick break because I want to break up this conversation to the next one. We'll talk NFL coming up next. We've done a lot of college stuff. We've kind of beaten that drum a little bit for the first hour, second hour. Uh, we'll talk NFL. There is some of that stuff kind of going on here on Southern Sports Central. So we'll be right back. This is Southern Sports Central Live right here on Blog Talk Radio. a bit of a break from the norm just a little something to break the monotony of all that hardcore dance that has gotten to be a little bit out of control it's cool to dance but what about a groove that soothes and moves romance give me a soft subtle mix and if it ain't broke then don't try to fix it and think of the summers of the past adjust the bass and let the alpine blast pop in my cd and let me run around and put your car on cruise and lay back because this is summertime Buzz. But back 
back then I didn't really know what it was But now I see what happened is The way that people respond to summer madness The weather is hot and girls are dressing less And checking out the fellas to tell them who's best Riding around in your Jeep or your Benzos Or in your Nissan sitting on Lorenzo's Back in Philly we be out in the park A place called the Plateau is where everybody goes Guys out hunting and girls doing likewise Honking at the honey in front of you with the light eyes She turned around to see what you beeping at It's like the summer's a natural aphrodisiac And with a penny pad I compose this rhyme To hit you and to get you equipped for the summertime Yet, hustle to the mall to get me a short set. Yeah, I got on sneaks, but I need a new pair. Cause basketball courts in the summer got girls there. The temperature's about 88. Hop in the water plug, just for old time's sake. Break to your crib, change your clothes once more. Cause you're invited to a barbecue to start with four. Sitting with your friends, just y'all reminisce about the days growing up and the first person you kissed. And as I think back, makes me wonder how the smell from a grill can spark off nostalgia. All the kids playing out front, little boys messing around with the girls playing double dutch. While the DJ spinning a tune as the old folks dance at your family reunion. Then six o'clock rolls around. You just finished wiping your car down. It's time to cruise, so you go to the summertime, hang out, it looks like a car show. Everybody come looking real fine, fresh from the barbershop, applying the beauty salon. Every moment fronting and maxing, chilling in the car, they spent all day waxing, leaning to the side, but you can't speed through two miles an hour, so everybody sees you. There's an air of love and of happiness, and this is the Fresh Prince's new definition of summer madness. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Rich Elman here alongside uh, Will Porter here today in our final uh, segment here, coming to an end as uh, Southern Sports Central 2019's final show. It is New Year's Eve. Happy New Year to everybody a little early uh, here as, uh, well, the clock is ticking up there, I'm sure, in New York City as the ball is going to start to drop here. So uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, What else is dropping? Well, how about the pink slips? Question is for everybody, you know, uh, Jason Garrett, of course, uh, set to meet today for the second meeting uh, for Dallas Cowboys uh, to figure out what's going on. As of right now, he's still the head coach, Garrett, of course, scheduled to meet for the second time with owner, general manager, and uh, the, the Wizard of Oz of the Cowboys, Garrett Jones, on, and his son uh, in Dallas. Uh, of course, uh, as you start to kind of put this one here together, executive vice president at 1 p.m. on Tuesday, sources told an ESPN guy over there, Adam Scheffner, uh, Garrett met with, on Monday, but by the end of the business day, it was passed on uh, that there will be uh, no news conference at the start regarding uh, the coach's future and owner's uh, plans for 2020. Now, with that, talks continue to go on there, and uh, Monday felt like uh, any other wrap-up uh, to the Cowboys' uh, season. I don't really know what else there's to talk about. Everything they've done, everything they've said has been put out on social media with uh, with players uh, you know, 
I will say this. It doesn't feel like he had lost the, the, the locker room from what I saw. Uh, and that's my kind of take on it. Now, I know there's tweets and Facebook posts and things that are out there. Well, I'm going to give it to you for a second, kind of let you get into some of that. But, you know, for me, uh, you, you look at it and, and you kind of put things together. Now, uh, his contract expires on January the 14th, which is going to be, uh, I believe, a Tuesday, right, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in uh, January. Uh, but after Sunday's uh, 47-16 season ending win over the uh, awful Washington Redskins, Jerry Jones did say he did not have a, uh, a timetable for decisions and did not seem uh, to care uh, that other teams, particularly in his own division, would have a chance to start hiring process before the Cowboys if he opted to move on from Garrett. So uh, your thoughts on this? Well, there's a lot of gray area. And, of course, this is uh, this is still ongoing. It's still very early uh, for, for the Cowboys uh, to have being announced a decision. But I, I came across this yesterday um, scrolling through Twitter, and uh, this, is a, this is a verified uh, person, Mike Leslie, um, at Mike Leslie WFAA, he's the sports anchor and reporter at um, WFAA in Dallas, and he covers the the Cowboys, uh, the Dallas Mavericks, the um, the uh, the Texas Rangers, and the Dallas Stars, and all, like all the all the major sports there uh, in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Uh, and uh, this is what this is what he tweeted out at 1:28 p.m. yesterday. I'm told entire hashtag Cowboys coaching staff has been fired. Then he goes on to say. Uh, in another and more of a thread of tweets, uh, we're told that a member of the staff texted a person close to him and said, quote, we're fired. The response was, quote, all of you. Uh, and the response to that was, quote, yes. Uh, a member inside the Cowboys organization says uh, that this is not the case yet. It may be the case soon, but it has not officially transpired. Now, I personally, I, I, I personally would see this as, as the, uh, an overreaction of, of sorts. If it's uh, if this is true, and if, if the the speculations, if the reports are true, um, that the entire Cowboys coaching staff is is just fired, is just let go. Um, it, it would be very bizarre for it to happen because they they have they have a great uh, a great offensive coordinator. I do believe that has great chemistry with uh, with the team there. Um, and, and, you know, this, again, I would say it's a massive overreaction if any, if, if any and all of this is true. Um, and, again, nothing has been confirmed yet. We can't confirm anything, neither can, uh, neither can ESPN or, or Fox or whoever, because uh, Jerry Jones is, is going to meet with Jason Garrett again, uh, and, and his son, Stephen Jones, as well, going to meet with Jason Garrett again today. Um, but, uh, again, this would be a major overreaction for, for many reasons. One, you know, you, you had a, you had a mediocre season. Yes. It's eight and eight. You end 500 on the year. Um, but again, to fire the entire coaching staff would, would just be, um, it would just be absolutely ridiculous because you have, you have all of this good, uh, um, you have all of these good coaches and, and uh, staff that has a good reputation. I, I believe has a, an excellent reputation. Uh, to possibly be able to move up within the organization, and for them to um, to be able to prove themselves next year with this with this talent pool that they have. Now, a lot of the a lot of the players on the Dallas Cowboys will will possibly be gone uh, by by next season. I, I think that um, I, I think that Dak Prescott is 
I think the next year is his, his last year uh, on his rookie contract, if it hasn't been this year already. Uh, Jason Witten uh, came back on a one-year deal, and he, and he's well into his into his 30s now. He came out of retirement to come and play for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I, I certainly believe he saw that as an opportunity to go and win a Super Bowl with this team. Uh, and obviously those uh, those dreams and, and wants and hopes have been snubbed because, uh, uh, yes, they, they had an 8-8 eight eight season, but so did the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Eagles were, were better than them in, in conference play. And, and it was just, again, it, this would just be a massive overhaul of, of, of talent if they were to get rid of just everybody and just hit the reset button um, with, with the coaching staff because then – uh, th- this leads into my second reason, and Ritzy, I'll hand it back over to you, that if if this were to happen, uh, and this is a big if, how would the chemistry be in the locker room um, as opposed to their relationship with the front office first and then bringing in a brand new coaching staff across the board, what that would look like? For this, uh, for this Dallas Cowboys uh, franchise, for this team to have to um, just have to restart with chemistry on all levels. That to me, if I was a player in that locker room, I would be um, like it, it would be demoralizing. The, the morale would definitely go down, and, and motivation um, would would be next to next to none. That would that's of course is my opinion if I were uh, playing for them. But nonetheless. This would be very shocking if all if all these reports end up becoming true uh, sometime this afternoon or, or later on throughout this week. Well, you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But of course, you know, Jason Garrett's eighty-five and sixty-seven as Cowboy coach, uh, but has won only two playoff games since two thousand eleven. Uh, he's had only one losing season, though, four and twelve in two thousand fifteen. The eight and eight uh, team, like you mentioned, there, uh, you know, was the fourth in his career. Entered the season knowing he had to win, but could not. Uh, get the Cowboys into the playoffs here in a very bad, bad, bad division there of the East, or the least, if some would ask or answer that prayer there. But, you know, it, it is what it is. Look, here's the thing. A new coach would come in, he's going to clean house anyway. So, so if I – look, you knew you are who we thought you were. And, and that goes back to an old NFL uh, post-conference, you know. You remember that? We are who we thought you were. All right, you knew when you jumped into the bed – with Jerry Jones, what you were getting? Are you shocked? Are you are you confused? Did you have amnesia? Did you forget that this guy is a power hungry, is a control freak? I mean, he is like an abusive boyfriend. He is going to watch every move you make, every breath you take. He'll be watching you, and he watches everything you do, and he scrutinizes everything you say. And he is the worst type of owner, worst type of boss you would ever want to work for. I'm saying not. I say so. Everybody who's come through that program. It's just crazy, man. I don't understand it. And, and you want to know why the Redskins suck? It's like the miniature version of the Cowboys. Daniel Snyder is the exact same. It's like he's his offspring here. Yeah, and, and that, that leads into the next point. You know, uh, Ron Rivera is expected to become the, head, the next head coach of, of the Washington organization. And uh, and I said it to myself uh, whenever the, the reports continue to come in. It's like it's confirmed it's going to uh, – they're going to make the announcement tomorrow. And the, I thought to myself, Dan, Dan Snyder is going to ruin this man's career. It, it, this is this is going to happen. 
because uh, Ron Rivera, great coach. I, I, I love what he's done, uh, what he did with uh, the Panthers, but you now his, his time came with, with the change again, change in the organization. But, um, but Dan Snyder being the owner and not so much, uh, not so much really willing to help out his team in, in the ways that a lot of the other successful uh, organizations have. Uh, and the problem with Jerry Jones in, in particular is that he he does not know how to um, keep his hands out of, of the basket. Uh, that, that, you know, you just, you know, the wind, like the wind-up car, the wind-up toy that, that you, you, or like you put it, like the little slot racers. If you, you had one of those slot racing tracks, uh, you, take, you take the car, you, you wind it up just a little bit, and then you set it on the track, and then you let go of it, and then just set it running. Um, that's what a lot of these owners do. And any good owner, if there's, if there's any problems, that they listen and that they respond accordingly. Um, <laughs> Jerry Jones has his own radio show. Then he goes and talks about the coaches, and, and he, he leaves these little he, he leaves these little snippets of uh, quotes that we uh, we in the media um, all across the board, from national to the local levels, that we we try to dissect and say what 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 does this mean? What does this exactly mean? It's like oh well uh, you know uh, Steve, Jason Garrett's uh, last this is going to be his last year, and he's like oh well, we have full faith in Jason Garrett now, and then like all all these different things that he says on on uh, his radio show. Um, over there in Dallas, and you know, for for one thing, I think the last time, if I if I can if memory serves me right in in recalling this, the last time that the Dallas Cowboys had any success as far as winning a Super Bowl or winning a championship or going very far in in the playoffs uh, has been in the '90s when uh, Jimmy Johnson was the head coach, and they were able to go on uh, uh, two or three. Super Bowls there in the 90s and being able to win those uh, with Troy Aikman at the helm. And so let's put all of that into perspective. That's when Jerry Jones, I believe, was not so much involved in football operations. Now, as as the years have gone on, and Jason Garrett has been the coach for for 10 years now, I I do believe, that that now, if, if if it's not now, and and they decide to give another year to Jason Garrett, then 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 Dallas Cowboys are shooting themselves in the foot here, because it's it's almost been the same results. And, and I, I don't think that Jason Garrett's a terrible coach, but it, it's it's a matter of the personnel that, that he's put around, and then you have an entire Cowboys fan base, the entire Cowboys nation, basically being weighed down on like on on this man's shoulders, and, and you also have the owner. Just, uh, just peeking over your shoulder every, every chance, every pass that he gets. Um, you know, you, you've seen the, the clips of any games that you've watched where, you know, Jerry Jones is looking down like, at the field with, with intent. Um, and it, like, it's, oh, any, any more words that I can be able to describe would, would, would almost be uh, unnecessary. But, for them to continue to drag their feet and, and, and also with Jerry Jones uh, continuing to just put his hand in the cookie jar, I think is, is what prevents uh, the Dallas Cowboys from winning a championship. And, and and it just continues to be the narrative for this, for this team over the past 20 something years since they've won, because it's been 
uh, under the tenure, uh, and you said those uh, under the tenure of Jason Garrett, he's only been to the playoffs like three or four times, but he's he's posted really good seasons, um, and, and he's in a team. He he coaches a team where you have two teams in Washington and in the New York Giants that are so mediocre that are that are beyond mediocre, uh, and you can't get past a, a Philadelphia team that. Uh, posts the same record as you that is having the same struggles as you are having, this should have been Dallas's year. But unfortunately, it hasn't been because of coaching, because of the entire organization as a whole. And, and we and we can go on about this uh, forever and ever, amen. But um, we we know the problems that are there. And, and uh, like we in the media ha- have a tendency to focus on, on those problems like in particular and, and continue to, to bash on them. But uh, Jerry Jones ha- has uh, – he has a decision to make. And I, I, I hope that he makes the right one as far as, um, as me being a fan of football. I hope that he makes the right one that's going to put his team in success. But there's, there's that bigger part of me that says that he won't do such things. Well, you look back, uh, Will, and, and it was 23 years ago this year that they were in the uh, Super Bowl, 1996. Uh, and and they did have Troy Aikman. They did have Michael Irvin, I believe. They did have Emmitt Smith. Emmitt Smith was the big – to me, but they had a very shut-down, very smash-mouth defense, a, a defense that was all over the field in the secondary, all to the front lines. And, and for me, you know, they beat Pittsburgh, the Steelers, that year, and that was a big day for me. But you know where it started wrong for Dallas this year? was in the before the season even started. You had all the stuff with Zeke Elliott, who, who was just all about him. Woe is me. Sign me. Do this. They made shirts, and they made money. Well, I hope the T-shirts, Jerry Jones, were worth the season because that's what costed you. You started with nonsense. You got nonsense throughout the season. You're unable to finish your season. You won games that you could have, should have won. I guess you could look back at it, but you lost games you shouldn't have. You lost to the Jets by two. You shouldn't have lost to the Jets by two. You lost to the Bears. They're not very good. They beat you 31-24 throughout the year. You can say you lost to the Bills. They made the playoffs. The Patriots made the playoffs. The Vikings made the playoffs. The Packers made the playoffs. The Saints made the playoffs. But you got going through your wins and losses. The 49ers are in the playoffs. But you know who's not in the playoffs? The Buccaneers. You lost to the Buccaneers. If you beat the Buccaneers, this conversation is a completely different conversation right now. You lose to the awful Buccaneers whose quarterback, by the way, just set an all-time record, I believe, with interceptions, right? I mean, it was bad, real bad. So when you go back and look at your season, and, and again, you know, uh, my boys, two of my boys are big Cowboys fans because of um, their stepfather, big-time Cowboy fan. He's from Dallas. I, I give it respect. Uh, that being said, uh, it's like I told them. I said, "Man, look, that's great. They're all excited. They're getting they're getting the big man back. He's coming on the running back. I mean, this, that, and the other." But I said, "Look, I said, look, man, that is right there the recipe for disaster." He was like, "Well, he's back on the field." I said, "That's fine, but the destruction he's caused before all that stuff happened could linger in too." Now, the other thing you talk about chemistry. Chemistry is big with football players, but it's just as big with coaches. You can't believe for one minute that if other people aren't buying into. To, to, to what this head coach is doing over at Dallas, you know, and they're getting all this rebuttal and all this conversation that they're on other coaches. You've been in jobs before where there's always been that guy that's in the locker room uh, or, or at the office over at the water cooler. 
who's starting a rumor, who's starting this and doing that. Shame on the guy that tweeted out to whoever put out that we're all fired. Man, there's some things that need to stay in-house until it becomes an outhouse problem. But those are the type of problems that bleed into other problems. So for me, you know, Dallas, regroup. Not a bad season, 8-8 eight and eight, uh, in some aspects, I guess. But for me, overall, that's an awful season. 8-8, eight eight, 500, you know, I guess it is what it is. But for me, uh, and we're going to move on past Dallas. This is just something that I, I – it was something there that's going to be a hot topic until they either confirm or deny that he will be the next coach in 2020. I find it hard to believe. I know Stephen A. Smith has done everything he could do to get him fired because he doesn't hate the Cowboys as well. I've enjoyed his interviews. I've enjoyed his little antics on uh, Sports Center and certain things like that. But for me – I'm not a Cowboy fan. I don't hide it. I'm disappointed they're not in the playoffs. I was hoping they were going to make it to the second round, and the Packers could play them. It's usually a guaranteed win for our Packers in the playoffs. That's just what it is. But that being said, you know, (laughs) you look at a guy, and I feel bad for Dak Prescott. Over all the guys in the NFL, I like that guy. He was a Mississippi State guy. Played under who? Dan Mullen. Big time. 4,902 yards, 30 touchdowns. His quarterback rating is at 71 Good for you. A great guy. I really think he's uh, got a really bright future in the NFL. They also had Amari Cooper, former Alabama Crimson Tide guy, wide receiver, over 1,100 yards, eight touchdowns, 79 receptions. I don't think he lived up to his hype, though. And, of course, Ezekiel Elliott. Zeke, quit being about you. Start being about the team, and you won't have to worry about an 8-8 eight and eight team getting you in the playoffs. Yeah, the, the the chemistry in the locker room. It, I think I think it's okay. Uh, it, it's just the uh, I think in, when when you were saying all that and uh, talking about the personnel, uh, my my mind just kept going back to uh, utilization. Like how is the coaches, uh, how are the coaching using all these players? Um, Dak Dak is a great player. I I, I don't think that he's elite like most of these uh, like either some of the Cowboys fans or a lot of the people that that think um, that somehow categorize elite, but, but Dak is a great quarterback. He, he, he is a starting caliber quarterback. He, he's been, he's been reliable. He's been there. He's been great. He, I think that he hasn't missed a game in his entire career as a Dallas Cowboy, as long as he's been the starter um, or as long as he's been able to play. Uh, you have Amari Cooper who he, he kind of hit a snag this year. He was traded away from, from Oakland, uh, I think last year. And then uh, they, they bring him back. Uh, this they bring him back again this year, and now he's going to become a free agent um, because because uh, of his contract uh, expires at the end of this uh, has expired at the end of the season, um, and then you know you you lock up Zeke for for what you, you spend all of this money on him that you, I I personally believe that you don't benefit if you pay your player this much money. Um, and this much guaranteed that you know if you try to get rid of him, that's going to be a lot of that's going to be a lot of lost money. But regardless, I think that that's just way too much to pay for um, to pay for a running back. Now Zeke was, uh, and I I can't I don't know this for sure, but if Zeke was just uh, uh, still complaining about uh, with contract negotiations how like how he was treated throughout the whole thing, and you know he went I think he went to Cabo or, or wherever and uh, was working out there, and so. I think it's still proving he that he wanted to play, and that uh, like this whole facade was uh, surrounding him in this contract extension or whatever was just to keep uh, the Dallas Cowboys in, in the national conversation all throughout the the off season or, or the preseason into uh, the regular season. And any time, and this is this is always true. Any time there's a set number of how many times that that Zeke touches the ball, 
and the correlation of if Zeke touches the ball this many times, if, if it's more than this, the Cowboys usually win. If it's less than this, the Cowboys usually lose. And, and it's been that, that factor of, uh, okay, so how many times do they utilize Zeke? Are they, protect, are they protecting him long-term by not giving him that many, that many touches and, and uh, trying to take care of his body? Or how, how are they using him otherwise? If memory serves me correctly, and granted, I haven't watched a lot of Cowboys games, but the ones that I have, I've seen that they don't utilize him in a wide receiver position as much as a lot of these other running backs in, in the NFL. They utilize Saquon in New York as a running back uh, as a running back option. So is Christian McCaffrey at Carolina. I think that uh, I think that Todd Gurley uh, was one there in, in Los Angeles. Uh, I would even, I would even think Nick Chubb is one as well. But you know, you 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 look at all of these players, um, the, the running backs, and, and we're talking about the running back position possibly dying out or or being dead. But you need that you need that run game continuously uh, in order to shake shake things up on the offense uh, on the offensive side of the ball to keep the defense on their toes. How could I forget uh, Aaron Jones of Green Bay? Uh, in, in the game against Detroit, I think that he was targeted three or four times. And, 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 and he caught it three or four times. He was targeted more than that because um, that, that game was just a, a heart attack for us, uh, us Packers fans, uh, watching Aaron Rodgers overthrow his receivers by, by inches uh, each and every time. But, but I digress. You know, um, Again, it's, it's going to come down to coaching and how they can be able to utilize the, the players that they have right now. Um, and as well as Jason Witten, you know, I, I can't help but think, you know, where's Jason Witten going to fit into this conversation? Is he going to come back next year? Because this is a one-year deal for him. Is he going to come back and be in a leadership role? Uh, is, it, is it possible that he becomes, uh, he becomes a coach for something? Because, uh, you know, Jerry, Jerry Jones absolutely loves some Jason Witten. And Cowboys fans love some Jason Witten too. Again, how, it's just going to see how this, this tree shakes out um, and where, where the pieces fall. But until then, the talent's there. It's just a matter of how you're going to use it and the chemistry that, that's going to be there. Um, another thing that, that I want to bring into the conversation um, is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, the Jacksonville Jaguars, they, ooh, they're in a heap of trouble. And I think this is the, the NFC South that they – it's the AFC. Okay. I'm sorry. I misspoke. They are in the AFC South. And they have, um, I guess they have extended their vote of confidence <clears throat> to keep Coach Doug Marone and the GM of, uh, of the um, Dave Caldwell, the, the, G, the GM of the Jaguars. Um, Jaguars owner Shad Khan is, is giving them uh, another chance to prove that the 2017 season was not a fluke. Uh, you remember the 2017 season where they, I think they made it to the AFC championship and they ended up losing to the Patriots in that. Um, ESPN reported on Saturday that Marone uh, had been told he was not returning. Um, and at the time the team strongly uh, denied the report. I remember this, this news coming through uh, on, on Saturday's show uh, even before Saturday's show happened. And so uh, Khan announced uh, this morning uh, that he is keeping both in their roles for at least the 2020 season, uh, despite a second 
consecutive losing season after the team's surprising run to the AFC title game uh, in 2017. Uh, they fired the executive VP of football operations, uh, that is Tom Coughlin, on December 18th, two days after um, the, the NFL uh, Players Association's um, scathing rebuke and warnings uh, to players to be wary of signing with the Jaguars. Um, and this, to me, is going to be very telling for, for this organization. Um, you know, you know, Shad Khan making these, making these decisions, uh, I think are, are going to end up hurting him in the long run, because, um, if you say that the 2017 season wasn't a fluke, then, then what happened to, uh, to the quarterback Blake Bortles, who in 2018 seemed to just completely regress like they like he just threw <laughs> he just kept throwing in the in the other direction kept throwing passes that either got intercepted or just kept being, getting dropped and so um as, as i bring that topic of conversation into the mix uh you know because this is a this is relatively new information uh what do you think that uh the jacksonville organization did they make the right move in keeping these two players or are these, uh, these two um, men and their coaches and in their positions or should they, should they have made a change? Well, yeah, you go back to player, uh, that player altercation that they had throughout the year. Remember earlier there was a, there were a player in the quarter and the coach there got into an altercation. I believe he ended up getting traded during the season, right? Jalen Ramsey got traded uh, because he wanted to get traded. Well, we gave him what he wanted. You know, the one thing you can say what you will about Chucky, and of course, uh, that's the head coach over there at the Oakland Raiders. Look, you're not going to tell Chucky how to run the show. Remember when he was at Tampa Bay? Remember, uh, was it Keyshawn Johnson? Give him the ball. Remember that whole epidemic there? You, I don't know if yeah. So you, you think about it. He said, not only, not only are you not going to play, you're going to stand right here beside me, and you're going to watch what I do. We're going to do this thing together. And then when I want to put you, I'm going to put you in because I'm the coach and you're the player. Right? And, and I think that's kind of you, you look at all these teams that have struggled – outside of, uh, of the realm of winning on the field, it starts at the top. Attitude reflects leadership. If your leadership looks weak, your attitude starts to compare the same. And I think you see that in Dallas. I think you see that now in, in – well, you've always seen it in Jacksonville. They've had a couple of good years down there. But for the most part, I mean, you can't let a payer punk you and, and then give into it and then, and then make jokes about it in, in an interview. No, it looks the way it is, and perception is reality. And for you, now you look like – it, it, it's his team, not your team. There's so many if, issues there. But where are you going to go? Who's going to come down there to Jacksonville to coach? It, it, it's, they've had a few good years, but they haven't even been around that long. You know, them and the Panthers, you know, right now going through a huge transition. I don't think the Panthers should have fired their coach. But somebody had to go because of the situation that they had. Somebody's got to get let go. The Gamecocks to go into college without firing Will Muschamp, they had to fire the trainer. And that's another conversation that we may get into this week too is, this is the biggest year of injuries I've ever seen in college football, and I haven't paid attention to it as much in the NFL, but I've seen more injuries list as long as some of the rosters. That's the concern going into 2020 that they really need to look at. So with that being said, I'll tell you this. I don't think that they – I don't think it mattered. I don't think it mattered who they put in that film right now because there's so many other things within the walls of this organization, that that is just one of the many little problems that they got to take care of. Yes, the coaching is the tree. But in NFL, unlike college, you, you fire the head coach, it handles 99% of the problem. 
in the NFL, that's not the that's not the way it works. You got the general manager, you got the head coach, you got all these different positions. It's the old "Don't talk to me, talk to my agent" league, right? That's why college coaches stay in college because they can still be somewhat hands on. And in the NFL, it's not that way. In the NFL, it's who are you talking to? Talk to my agent, bro. I'm out. I'm gonna sit out for the next three weeks. That's how that works. Yeah, I, I think I've uh, I've learned it very quickly that if you don't know um, the owner's name or the general manager's name, then that team must be doing a very good job um, with with their football operations and what they're doing. Um, another one that uh, came, news came down the wire yesterday morning. This was this was at ten o'clock after shortly after we got off the air yesterday morning, but. Um, uh, Pat Shermer, who had been the uh, New York Giants head coach for two seasons, he's out, uh, and, and his record's not good. His record wa- was not good at all um, while, while he was there. And, uh, I mean, I, I think that this is a good, this is a good step forward. Uh, a lot of people said uh, that Pat Shermer did not deserve the, the, the starting job to begin with. Uh, but nonetheless, Dave Gettleman, who has made some very questionable football uh, moves over the past over the past season, um, I think that their investment in Daniel Jones um, has has proven somewhat worthy, uh, despite uh, you know the the early season snag. Whenever they whenever they put him in, he looked promising, and then uh, started throwing uh, so many interceptions in that one game or that that stretch of games. Um, before that, getting rid of Odell Beckham going to uh, going to Cleveland, which is a whole other dumpster fire, but um, uh, just a lot of the questionable decisions that, that Dave Gettleman has made over the past couple of seasons. Uh, and not to mention that there's a report that, that Eli is looking uh, to retire instead of, uh, uh, you know, being, being a, a starter somewhere else or being the backup still uh, in New York. Um, you know, that, that's the decision that he's going to have to make on his own. And again, I don't know, um, I don't know much on on the front other than than just that information that he is considering retirement um, and and doesn't want to uh, become a backup in the NFL. Now he, he is contemplating, um, but if he does return, it almost certainly will not be uh, with the Giants. He turns 39 uh, this Friday. In fact, um, he turns 39. He spent all of his uh, 16 seasons uh, with the team that traded for him uh, during the 20, 2004 NFL draft. Um, but again, he is not interested in being uh, Daniel Jones's uh, backup next season. Uh, your thoughts on the Giants? Um, just just the whole Giants uh, organization, the tree, um, you know, the new the new coach that they're going to be uh, looking at or looking for. Uh, the rumor was that uh, Baylor head coach um, Matt Rule was being looked at by the New York Giants to possibly come and play NFL, but. Um, that Baylor coach is not interested in becoming an, uh, becoming an NFL head coach. So he would rather stay um, and, and continue to build the house that, that he is repairing uh, in the Baylor Bears organization. Uh, so, Richie, of course, of course you, you knowing more than I do a lot, a lot on this front, um, what do you think about it? Like, please, please enlighten me because, again, I, I'm still a very young and curious mind. I, I would like to know what – uh, what the thinking with the New York Giants is um, with this firing? Well, for the Giants, again, it, it's they, they had their run. They've had some good coaches go through there. Bill Parcells was one guy that will always go down as one of the great coaches for the New York Giants organization. They've had other guys way before my time as well that I know did some great things. But here's the thing. 
you know, I, I don't blame Baylor's coach. Stay there, dude. Why would you? Why would you leave uh, an organization that you've got a lot more control, a lot more naysay? You can control the players. Why would you go and run a daycare? You know, who who wants to leave their job to go run a daycare? No, no, there's nobody. Okay, I'm not going to leave Southern Sports Central. I'm not going to leave the confines of this studio and go run a daycare tomorrow. This is not going to happen. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, try to try to rally the cats in 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 the yard. I just don't want to do it. It, it. It's like free range chickens, man. It doesn't make any sense to me. So my thing is, again, the NFL is a little bit, a lot more. It's a heck of a lot more complex than it is in college. In college, there is. Uh, the head coach, there's the OCs, the DCs, and then they kind of go through the list. Now, yes, there's an athletic director that they have to go through, but for the most part, it's pretty much cut dry. In the NFL, there's the the, the VP, the, the the president, the this, the that, the everything else, the you name it, right? And they all have agents too, by the way. Now everybody has an agent. Even your water boy has an agent. I mean, my God, everybody, the mascot's got an agent. You don't get to talk to nobody without going through somebody. Why would you want to deal with that? So to go to the Giants, what do they do? I, yeah, I don't really know what they do. Do they get a consultant? Do they get somebody in there like a Bill Parcells to be a consultant with them, to help them a little bit, to do something? And again, the NFL is in a really weird state right now because we've seen a lot of great coaches come through the league and really do some really great things. You even look at Bill Cowher. Remember what he did with the Steelers. I mean, you know, it seems so long ago that he was standing on the sidelines. But you listen to a lot of these great coaches now who are now in, in different uh, TV station studios doing pregame and postgame and halftime shows, and you hear how they're talking about some of these coaches. Now, for example, you do see what Baltimore Ravens coach is doing over there. The guy's doing a great job. He fits. He's in the system. He understands it. There's a lot of questions whether his brother is a better NFL coach than he is a college coach. Well, I don't know because he did have a pretty good year as far as college is concerned this year. Now, this story will be told tomorrow when they play Alabama in a big game that means a lot for Michigan. Trust me, for them to go down and stay to Florida and win that game would be big. But there's so many other teams out there right now that have problems. The entire NFC East, minus maybe, and I say the word maybe, the Eagles have a pretty decent situation, have a bad situation down there. Um, you look at across, just overall, I don't know. Uh, I guess the one, and again, taking off my, my, my Green Bay Packers, glasses they look like geniuses they look like geniuses they have the youngest coach over there he's doing his thing now he's doing it with some other players and he's doing it with, with, with a lot of momentum from things that were built up to but it is what it is he's winning the games he needs to win he's handling the business he needs to win and maybe some of these losing programs it's maybe it's just as simple to go say look what are they doing over there how are they winning maybe 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 we take a play out of the rule book or their playbook i, I don't know but the one thing I do know is that's something that, that I think going forward that you're going to have to look forward to uh, getting into, of course, uh, you know, all of those conversations. But uh, we do want to get into this uh, before we get off the air here, of course, uh, and, and just kind of look at the games happening this Saturday into Sunday. Uh, this weekend is wild card weekend, of course. Uh, the AFC will kick it off on Saturday. Number five, Bills going on against uh, number four, Texans. That's going to be an ESPN game at 435. The Bills coming in. Honestly, they, I think they got a pretty good pick here to go against the Texans. The Texans, however, won their last game of the year. Uh, their, uh, excuse me, lost their last game of the year. They lost uh, their game, by the way, to the Titans. So is that going to have any layover there with the Bills? Uh, that would be interesting to see. And then at 8:15, the Titans take on the Patriots. Uh, that one, of course, uh, on CBS. Uh, 
we'll get more into that here going into uh, the rest of this week as, as we'll continue to bring you uh, two solid hours of Southern Sports Central. And then on Sunday, January 5th, you got the uh, number six Vikings seed against the number three Saints seed going on at 105. That's going to be a Fox game. And then uh, the later game is on NBC, the Seattle Seahawks taking on the Eagles. Uh, out of these two days, the two games that I'm looking forward to watch the most are probably going to be that first game on Saturday, the Bills and the Texans. And then I will be interested to watch and see what's going to happen with the birds here. Who's going to be the bigger bird, the Seattle Seahawks or the Philadelphia Eagles there, Will? Yeah, this is going to be a very interesting weekend, uh, Saturday and Sunday uh, games for, for NFL wildcard uh, weekend. Um, you know, Real quick with Buffalo and Houston, I, I think that it's going to be a question of which offense can be able to uh, produce the most. There have been a lot of questions surrounding uh, Buffalo's offense and what they can be able to uh, what they can be able to do and produce with um, with their uh, quarterback there at the helm, um, and that quarterback being um, uh, being J, uh, Jay Allen. Um, you know, Deshaun Watson being being such a great uh, he's being such a great player right now at the quarterback position, um, but there are a lot of questions. Uh, as regards to uh, the Texans and their notable uh, their notable players with with injuries, you know Kenny Stills is a wide receiver, uh, Will Fuller is a wide receiver, and so a lot of the arsenal for Houston is is depleted uh, for the most part. And, and the only one that that I see uh, really mattering for Buffalo is, is Andre Roberts. Now Andre, I think, is a, he's a spectacular player, and and a lot of the success for uh, for Buffalo as it is um, in Buffalo. They are six and two uh, on the road, and, and it's going to be interesting to see what this game will look like for them, uh, and again, what their offense can be able to do. Now, um, Tennessee at New England. Uh, this is this is another one of those. Um, this is this is going to be a very telling. Um, it's going to be a very telling game, especially for New England because the way that they lost to Miami at home in Foxborough. Uh, for the first time in, in in years that they lost um, that they lost a game to Miami in Foxborough. Um, again, this is going to be very telling for Tom Brady uh, and, and the Patriots because this has been this has been a uh, this has been a Tom Brady that we have begun to see um, digress. He's begun he's begun to to regress. That he's uh, um, you know last year obviously we thought we all thought oh is he hit that slope is he finally not a good he not a good starting quarterback now for um, for this season or for this organization. Um, it, it's going to be hard, and uh, New England is not riddled with injuries as much as uh, as much as Tennessee is, and uh, you know the the Patriots they they have lost um, three of their last five games, whereas Tennessee they have won three of their last five, uh, including going to Houston and, and beating a Texans team that that has clinched their the division the same as Tennessee's now. Um, New England is favored by four and a half, and the the, the over under uh, spread is um, the over under is at forty three and a half. So I think that the Patriots will have no problem putting away Tennessee, but it's going to it's going to be telling of which offense is, which offense is going to be greater, and is Tom Brady going to be able to overcome um, <clears throat> is going to be able to overcome those uh, those deficits the deficits now. New Orleans, they did not clinch uh, home field advantage all throughout the playoffs, but they are hosting Minnesota, and Minnesota is coming with uh, with a lot of momentum. They had the questions earlier in the year. They are ten and six, and they're good enough for for the uh, sixth seed in the playoffs. Going to uh, New Orleans in the Bayou, in the Superdome, where it's very loud, very 
there. The, like you, you are your presence is made known if you're a fan. Uh, just how the sound is so deafening um, to the ears of the opponents, and so uh, I think this is the one uh, sliver of hope that the Saints have. Uh, in regards to uh, a home field uh, advantage in the playoffs, this is the game. And I think that they're going to show up and show out. Uh, New Orleans is favored by eight, and for good reason. They have they have Drew Brees, they have Michael Thomas, they have Alvin Kamara. They have all those tools necessary to be able to win this game. And then the last game on, on Sunday, uh, Seattle at Philly. You know, Seattle comes in uh, with the better record, of course, uh, 11-5. and five. They are uh, going up against a 9-7 and seven, uh, Philadelphia Eagles team, and Seattle is favored by by two points. Uh, reason that being, uh, why it couldn't be um, why it couldn't be more. Uh, well, you have uh, you have an injury in uh, Michael Kendricks. He has been ruled out uh, for this game. He he is a linebacker for the Seahawks. That um, he, I think he got injured in in the night's game against San Francisco. Uh, if not, then it was it was before then. But he he is a key piece to the Seattle defense that's already struggling with uh, you know with questionable injuries on, on that on that end. You have a safety in Quandre Diggs uh, that is still questionable, and then uh, Jaron Brown is a wide receiver uh, for the Seahawks, and he is doubtful to uh, appear in this game at, at Philadelphia. Now, uh, it like again, it is going to be very it's going to be very telling of which team wants this more. And I think the Seattle wants this more because they, they are uh, the first team out. They are, they are the first wild card team out and they are going to have to go on the road and be able to play in these games uh, each and every, each and every game to uh, begin to <clears throat> make a run and be able to make an effective run. Uh, and so it's going to be a decision of who, who wants this more Seattle again, favored by a point and a half uh, or almost two points. And the over under is, is 46. We'll see. Because uh, this this game this game has a lot more uh, to carry with it. If Philadelphia wins, then uh, you know this is this is proving that the NFC the NFC East is a little bit stronger than we all thought. Uh, but still, a lot of doubts uh, heading into this game for the for the Eagles. Um, I mean, that's my that's my breakdown of these four wild card games and a great weekend of football coming up. That uh, quite frankly, we just need to sit back and relax and enjoy the show that the NFL gives us. And I tell you what, you give Will a little bit of speed there, and he runs with it in style. He's kind of like the bear of Southern Sports Central. This guy's a number guy. He's a stat guy. He's the guy that's going to look in between the uh, the numbers there. And, again, uh, you know, I, I'm with him here. I, I am curious to see whether the, the Eagles are, are going to be as good as maybe they could be. The problem they've had, and I mentioned this with college uh, rosters, is the injury bug. It bit the Eagles pretty good this year. I think we kind of forget that sometimes when we're looking at the Eagles. You know, even looking at Alshon Jeffries, their number one receiver, one of the best receivers there in the league, he's been injured all year long. He's dealt with a lot of different things. Uh, they've had quarterback things going on. They've had a lot of things kind of going wrong for them. Uh, but that game, 440 on Sunday, I'll definitely be glued to the TV on Sunday evening watching that one. I will, of course, watch the Vikings and the Saints. I think the Vikings are a lot better team than a lot of people giving them credit for as well. Uh, they actually could go in to the number uh, three-seeded Saints and, and win. It's going to be a tough one on Sunday. Uh, but, again, that Bills-Texans game very much sized up together. You look at the statistically the way they kind of put each other up. We'll, we'll wait and kind of see how this one goes. Uh, and I just – I don't know. I mean, the Dolphins did beat the Patriots, so anything can happen. But it was also a weekend that I don't think they really cared much about uh, as far as uh, the Patriots are concerned. And, meanwhile, the Dolphins are like, look, hey, we can get us a dub here. We can beat the team as the Patriots. It's our rival in the division. 
but did it mean anything? Or did it hurt them more than it helped them by winning? I don't know. But what I do know is they got to celebrate a victory there at the end of the year. And Miami Dolphins fans, shoot, anybody. And the, the only thing they do down in Miami in winning is high school football. So uh, you look at it that way. Uh, we'll be back live. Uh, I'm contemplating the time frame tomorrow. So you want to follow us on Facebook at Southern Sports Central and on Twitter at SO Sports Central. Uh, we got a few things kind of in the pipeline right now that we are looking at. Uh, we'll we'll uh, release that here uh, by the end of the day. So you want to follow us there on those avenues to kind of catch up with us. I do want to thank all of our sponsors here who have done all that they continue to do here. We uh, thank you guys for all that you've done to help us do what we do. We wish you guys a uh, happy new year. Stay safe. Be smart. Pick up the phone and call a ride. Don't put yourself in a situation that not only affects you, but affects the other person on the other side. On behalf of myself, Will Porter, I'm Rick Yoffman. God bless. Take care. Have a good one.